Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, October 6th. In today's news, Eric Trump is interviewed by New York prosecutors investigating possible Trump Organization fraud. The Supreme Court sides with Republicans in a potentially significant dispute over mail-in ballots. And the Nobel Prize in Physics is awarded for discoveries about black holes. But first, the big idea. President Trump left one of the world's most elite medical centers on Monday evening at Walter Reed, even as his doctors acknowledged that they were entering uncharted territory and, citing privacy laws, continued to withhold vital information that could illuminate the president's prognosis for recovering from COVID-19. Trump's determination to appear in control in the waning weeks of a presidential race in which he is trailing significantly left unclear whether he or his doctors were calling the shots, especially because members of his medical team continue to cherry-pick what they're sharing with the American people. They say his oxygen levels are normal and he has no fever, but they refuse to answer questions about results from lung scans, when his last negative test was, or why he's receiving the steroid dexamethasone, which is typically reserved only for patients with the most severe cases. Several doctors told my colleagues Francis Sellers, Lori McGinley, Ariana Cha, and Amy Goldstein that the president has returned to the White House at a fraught moment in his recovery, before he has escaped a period when some patients are known to crash. Harlan Crumholz, a cardiologist at Yale, says the problem with COVID-19 is that people's conditions deteriorate rapidly, even after days of stability. Jonathan Reiner, a George Washington University cardiologist, said that in an emergency, the White House Medical Unit can do what an emergency room can do in the first 15 minutes. Someone can be resuscitated and stabilized during a heart attack, for example, and then transferred to a hospital. Still, for ongoing treatment, he says it would be wise for Trump to remain hospitalized. At a Monday afternoon news conference, White House Dr. Sean Conley said the team is cautiously optimistic and on guard about Trump's discharge, but he said he's looking to this weekend for assurance that Trump has cleared rough waters, and he said he won't breathe a sigh of relief until next Monday. Daniel Call, an infectious diseases expert at the University of Michigan, says people of Trump's age and with similar severity of illness, to the extent that we know and to the extent that the White House is telling us the truth, usually have a pretty slow recovery with weeks and sometimes months of cognitive difficulties, shortness of breath, and severe fatigue. Like other experts, Call said it's highly likely that Trump has COVID pneumonia. At the briefing, Conley selectively invoked health privacy laws, known as HIPAA, when questions arose about the president's respiratory system scans or whether he remains infectious. For his part, Trump minimized the dangers of the virus that has killed more than 209,000 of our fellow Americans. The president tweeted, quote, Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. Health officials from current and past administrations agree that the White House Medical Unit can bulk up on staffing and equipment to ensure that it can care for and, again, at least stabilize a patient who takes a turn for the worse. But a former White House doctor tells us that it's really inefficient and very risky compared to staying at Walter Reed. Greg Martin, a pulmonary critical care specialist at Emory in Atlanta, says Trump's blood oxygen levels could be tracked constantly through a finger monitor 
He says the president must be watched closely for changes in mental status, which is a side effect of multiple medications that he's on, especially that steroid, dexamethasone. The side effects include difficulty with attention, depression, or mania. Trump's blood will probably be tested several times a day for changes in coagulation or inflammation. Those might indicate a higher risk of clotting or that his body may be heading into a dangerous cytokine storm, which would require serious interventions. Doctors may run an echocardiogram on his heart once a day to look for signs of hardening of the walls, which is known to be a relatively common issue with COVID. But Martin cautioned that there are a few known complications of COVID for which there's often no warning. Strokes or heart failure due to microclots or a pulmonary embolism from a clot in the legs or other part of the body suddenly moving to the lungs. Martin explained that there are things you really wouldn't know are going to happen until they happen. And let's hope they don't. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the president's son, Eric Trump, was questioned under oath Monday as part of a civil investigation by New York's attorney general into whether the Trump family's real estate company committed fraud. Well, the interview was not made public. The mere fact it happened before Election Day is a victory for that state's attorney general, Letitia James, whose inquiry is one of several legal actions the president and the Trump organization are facing. The New York Times says the day-long deposition was conducted remotely and ended about 5 p.m. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal reports that the IRS is actively investigating NRA Chief Executive Wayne LaPierre for possible tax fraud. LaPierre's total reported pay from 2014 to 2018 was $11.2 million. But this summer, LaPierre was charged in a civil suit brought by New York's Attorney General with taking millions of additional dollars in undisclosed compensation from the NRA and its vendors in exchange for giving them contracts. Now the IRS is looking into that. All the scandals plugging the gun lobby hobble them at a time when they'd ordinarily be a major force in the presidential campaign. No outside group, for example, spent as much money supporting Trump in 2016 as the NRA. That's not there this time. And the U.S. government has revoked the visa of a Ukrainian fixer tied to Rudy Giuliani. The revocation of Ukrainian fixer Andrei Teloshenko's visa comes as U.S. officials continue to crack down on Russian efforts to influence our election. The revocation, which has not been previously reported, came shortly before the Treasury Department sanctioned another Ukrainian who was cooperating with Giuliani, lawmaker Andrei Derkok, and dubbed Derkok as an active Russian agent for over a decade. They also said he was trying to interfere in this election. Number two. The Supreme Court sided last night with South Carolina Republicans in a dispute over mail-in ballots. The conservatives on the court said mail-in ballots must contain a witness's signature, something federal courts had said, lower courts had said, should be waived because of the coronavirus. The high court made one concession, saying ballots already sent in without a witness should still be counted. Tens of thousands of ballots have been sent to voters across the state already. But Justices Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito, and Neil Gorsuch said they would have granted the request in full from the GOP, meaning that ballots already cast without a witness signature would be thrown out. The justices are also considering a request from Pennsylvania's Republican legislative leaders to block a decision by the state Supreme Court to count ballots received by mail up to three days after Election Day. South Carolina Democrats say that because the witness requirement was not in place during the state's primary earlier this year, imposing it in the general election will risk substantial voter confusion. And here are two other significant stories related to the voting wars. In Detroit, which again, Michigan, critical swing state, 
A chronic U.S. Postal Service delay is undermining confidence in voting by mail. Mail delivery has been erratic all summer in the predominantly black neighborhoods of northern Detroit, and late or missing prescriptions, utility bills, and Social Security benefits have become the norm. But now, looking ahead to November, many residents are worried and wondering whether those slowdowns will also cost them their votes. The delivery delays that Trump's Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, set in motion spanned the country but hit Detroit, whose postal workforce was already depleted because of the pandemic, particularly hard. Michigan's congressional delegation received thousands of complaints, and on-time mail delivery in the Detroit area has dropped 20 percent. Only 65 percent of mail in that part of Michigan is on time. And the deadline to register to vote in Florida for this year's general election was midnight on Monday. And what was expected to be the nation's largest voter reenfranchisement in more than 50 years instead resulted in less than a quarter of the estimated 1.4 million felons who could have registered signing up to vote. Voting rights activists say they'll keep working to register others in this group, but not for this election, in which Florida's 29 electoral votes will be critical. A constitutional amendment passed by two-thirds of Florida voters in 2018 quickly turned into a partisan battle in the Republican-led legislature over the issue of whether prison fines, fees, and restitution must be paid before a formerly incarcerated felon can register to cast a ballot. A law signed by Republican Governor Ron DeSantis last year said those payments are part of a sentence that the amendment requires an individual to first complete. The payment stipulation caused confusion among many felons over whether they owe money to the state and triggered fears that they could be committing another felony if they tried to register to vote. And that was almost certainly the goal of DeSantis's legislation. Number three, an American astrophysicist, Andrea Gaze, was among three scientists awarded the Nobel Prize in physics this morning for her role in discovering a supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. The 55-year-old shared the honor with German astrophysicist Reinhard Genzel, who was also cited for his work on the galactic black hole, and with Roger Penrose, a British mathematical physicist, cited for his discovery that Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity predicts the formation of black holes. Gaze is a professor at the University of California in Los Angeles, and she's the fourth woman to win a physics Nobel, following Marie Curie in 1903, Maria Mayer in 1963, and Donna Strickland in 2018. My colleague Joel Achenbach talked to Professor Gaze at like 3 a.m. California time, just after she found out that she'd won, and they discussed the thrill of winning the prize and the thrill of her discovery, as well as her hope that she'll inspire more women to enter the field. Asked what she thought when she first saw signs that something mysterious was lurking at the center of the galaxy, she said the first feelings that she had were excitement, and then doubt, because you have to prove to yourself you're really seeing what you think you're seeing. She added, we have no idea what's inside the black hole, and that's what makes these things such exotic objects. She said she feels particularly passionate about the teaching side of her profession. She hopes she can inspire young women to become PhDs and physicists. She says physics is a field that has so many pleasures, and if you're passionate about the science, there's so much more work to be done, and so much more we still want to understand. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, October 6th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.
The Daily 202 is brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and the new podcast, Caring for Tomorrow. I'm Joan London, the host of the series. Please join us as we explore the challenges and solutions that are defining the future of healthcare. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts.